0: Week three of Advent, preparations today, the title, very simply, The Pointer. Let's read John's text together, John chapter 1. If you have your Scriptures with you, I invite you to take those out or your Apple uh, app that has, or your iPhone app that has the Scriptures there. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and verses 19 to 21. Notice the simplicity of the story. Notice in this birth narrative what is here and what is not here. That is important to where this text takes us today. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He, John himself, was not the light He, John, came only as a witness to the light. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to vet him, to find out who this strange character was who was baptizing folks in the river, in the wilderness, to ask John who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely now notice how he replies I am not the Messiah then they asked him well then who are you are you Elijah he said I'm not Elijah well are you the prophet he said no finally they said who are you give us an answer to take back to those who sent us what do you say about yourself I also find this intriguing. John didn't say anything particularly unique about himself. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Last week's text. Now the Pharisees who had been sent question him. Well, why then do you baptize if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of those sandals, I am not worthy of to untie." This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. My friends, this ends the reading of God's unique, peculiar, and holy word penned by the writer John. Well I have to to say that, or confess, that when I was getting ready for this moment, I was reminded about why this text in John is rarely cited, hardly ever on Christmas Eve. There's no birth narrative in John's gospel. John's gospel, I gotta be honest with you, doesn't preach well. It's philosophical theology, not practical theology. All the other Gospels are very practical. John's Gospel is more philosophical theology, the world of ideas. John chapter 1 is actually a reworking in light of the arrival of the Messiah of Genesis chapter 1. It's A redoing of what, in a sense, was marred in Genesis chapter one, because the arrival of the Messiah will soon take place. So, Genesis chapter one and two, followed by the fall and three, and the consequences all the way up to chapter 11, those are now being repositioned, rewritten, recalibrated in John's early chapters. Heavy in theology. Not a lot of practical nuggets of wisdom to take away, except one. And that's what we want to uncover and mine this morning. Imagine, if you would, that John's Gospel was a Christmas pageant and what that Christmas pageant, according to John's Gospel, might look like. Barbara Brown Taylor talks a little bit about what a John's Gospel Christmas pageant might look like. And she's done a phenomenal job with it. Now remember, she says, there's no birth story of Christ. So John's Christmas pageant would feature one child speaking one line, on a bare stage in front of a curtain of black velvet, saying this And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. That would be it. <laughs> That'd be it. No, Mary and Joseph. No grumpy innkeeper. No animals being paraded up and down the aisles. No manger. No light. It'd just be one boy standing in front of a black velvet screen with one line that I'm pretty sure I even might be able to recite without forgetting... Although the Lord's Prayer debacle this morning might argue against that. This Advent story is minimalistic at best. short on costumes, no props, just a man named John. Who never tells us anything about who he is. He does tell us a lot about who John is not. And that doesn't preach very well. Or does it? Now, if John's gospel was a stage show of the life of Christ, let's segue a little bit and go perhaps a little deeper. It would probably be the same stage, nothing on the stage really, black velvet backdrop, I'm guessing a table, a simple table set with black tablecloth made of fine Egyptian cotton, 900 thread if there is such a thing. This production would feature John, scene two, coming up to this table set to the nines with all of our fine china, tablecloth, cloth napkins, dishes, knives, forks made of silver, fine crystals for glasses to drink. I can see John dramatically walking up to the table, reaching down to the edge of the tablecloth, holding it up and pulling it, and trying to do the old yank the tablecloth out from under the table setting in such a way that everything stays exactly where it was. There might be a glass or two, a goblet or two, still shaking until it finds its final resting place. That might be this scene, scene two, in John's Gospel. Again, very minimalistic. Again, very simple. Yet when John in this story yanks the tablecloth out from under all of the dishes and silverware, here's the significant drama. He takes everything with him. It all disappears. It goes away. It doesn't crash on the floor. It's simply gone. Our text ten different times says no, 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 not neither, no, not neither. Not necessarily in that order. The expected crash of fine china never comes. Everything simply vanishes as if it were never there. And it's only then that John, standing all by himself, holding the tablecloth in one hand, in front of the black velvet backdrop, does John do what God sent him to do, which is to point to the light, to testify to the light. Into the light alone. Yeah, I had to laugh a few times when I read this. I thought, oh man, I forgot I chose this text. Well, I didn't. It's in the lectionary. Well, maybe I could just change it out. Well, I'm not being very very authentic to the lectionary then. It's there for a reason. What is the reason? Friends, what's the reason? Here it is. Here's the gospel moment today. John's role is not about John. John's role is to do one thing and one thing only point to the Christ. Point to the Christ. That's it. Not to the trees, not to the aesthetics. Do they meet your personal expectation or not? Did that play work for you? You probably spent a hundred bucks a person on it. None of that's important to John. John's job was to do one simple thing and it wasn't about John's performance. It was only about John doing this. Let's drill down a little deeper. So I can make the point, thank you very much. Notice who John isn't. First, the authorities were sent to vet John. Who is this guy? He's doing weird stuff. What authority is he baptizing? I mean, after all, he didn't go to school, he had no degree, there was no certificate, he had no Zoom seminars or Google Meets training sessions who maybe somebody taught him that we don't know about. Is that person reputable? He didn't even have the benefit of remote learning. Who is this guy? They go out and ask him, hey, who are you? Well, you're not John the Baptist like in Matthew. You're not John the baptizer like in Mark. You're not John the son of Zechariah as in Luke. He's not licensed. He's not bonded in any significant way. He has not paid so that he could host his baptizing station out in the streets as a local vendor. Then John starts talking about himself. Who are you? I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet like Moses. I'm not even going to use my own words. I'm going to use words that come from other people. Prophets that pointed to the Christ. Not only that, He's not even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who is coming. In these verses, depending on which translation you read, there are no less than ten knots, neithers, and nos. That was kind of fun to say. There are no less than ten knots, neithers, and nos. Think about what that means for you and I as people of faith and how we experience everything. What grid do we run everything through? We run it through our me, myself, and I grid. What role am I playing? What benefit is there to me? Does this meet my preference? None of that is on stage here in John's Primary gospel. Think about what this means for you and I as ministers in the priesthood of all believers. Essentially, we're nobody. That's how minimalistic this storyline is. It's got nothing to do with John. Or maybe it does. And if it does, what is John's role? Are you ready for it? It's very simple. John's role is to be that of the pointer, the voice. It's not about me. It's about the One coming and whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. No, I'm not Moses. No, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not licensed. No, I don't know what I'm talking about. No, I got nothing. But what I do know is, there's a guy coming. That's the guy. Look for that one. John's role was a pointer. John's role was a voice. Everything about him vanishes into thin air because it's not needed. His gifts, his abilities, his, his ability as an orator, his ability as a prophet, his ability as a forerunner, his ability as a voice diminishes into nothingness. Why? Pointer. Kind of like the Matrix. It's all about the one. Wow, if that's John's role, if John, as big of a hero in our Christmas story as he plays, and he does play a heroic role, I actually think if John had his way in this John's Gospel, he wouldn't have been named. He would have just been there was a man crying out in the wilderness. I think he had to acquiesce to that edit in when the script writing was going into production. (laughs) See, I think we all need a little more John in our own lives. I know I do. I think our world needs a little more John-like people in the world. I think our politics needs a lot more John-like people in our world. I think all of us, the way we interact with other people, need to be a lot more like John. Not about us. It's about that. Jesus the Christ. The Messiah. So let's drill down. Let me draw a few applications for us. What does this mean for us as we prepare to receive the Messiah during Advent. Let's start with what Advent really is. If this is true, it's got nothing to do with John, John's role is only to do one thing. Boom. Point. Which is the premise. What does that practically now mean for us in the way we carry ourselves and do church? I'd like to suggest four ways. Number one, think about Advent. Think about the way we each experience Advent. According to this story, Advent is waiting for the Christ more than it is Our waiting for the Christ. Should I do that again so that you can understand the emphasis? Advent is more our waiting for the Christ and not about our waiting for somebody, a guy named Christ. Maybe he can help us out. In other words, who's more important, the hour in the waiting or the Christ who is arriving? Think about the way in which we anticipate and make preparations. More often than not, it's all about our waiting for, oh yeah, this guy named Christ who might be able to bring peace on earth some century, millennium, maybe? I don't know. Secondly, let's talk a little bit about faith. What is faith if this is true? If our role as people of faith is not about name, fame, aesthetic, anything, other than are we pointing to the Christ, what does that mean for faith? Well, faith then is a primal and profound trust that God is at work, even when we cannot see it, even when we cannot fathom it. Even a recognition that God is at work without special effects, fog machines, laser light shows, costumes, props, budgets, that God is at work. Maybe it's the recognition that even in the wilderness, even in the desert, even in the city, even in the rural areas, even in the midst of a virus, even in the midst of social inequities, even in the midst of a proper title for A man who points, there's a profound trust that God is still at work. You see, we'd survive life on the bare necessity of the certainty about God doing God work in our midst regardless of whether I'm feeling it or not. Meister Eckhart talked about him last year somewhere along the line. German. Mystic. Suggests that faith is found not in adding to our ever longer to-do lists, but in subtracting to get to the very essential, to get to the radicalness of faith at the roots. Faith is not on this. Oh yeah, and this. Oh wait, we got to add this and this and this. You know what? We've we got to do this because we've always done that. Meister Eckhart would say, mm, Subtract. Reduce. Faith is found not with addition, but subtraction. That God is always at work. Even when we can't see it, feel it, sense it, understand it, Get our minds wrapped around it. Why? Emmanuel. God with us. Okay, number three. If that's Advent and that's faith, if this is true, I suggest that it is. I'm arguing on behalf of the thesis this morning. What is hope? What is hope? Well, Hope's interesting, man, because hope is one of those words like faith and love that means as many people in the world there are, everyone's got their own definition of. But let's subtract hope and get down to the primal bare necessity of what hope actually is. You know, hope's not founded on my version of hope for anything, And we have lots of hopes, and there's nothing really wrong with these hopes. Like maybe we in Southern California would hope for a white Christmas. Now that would be kind of fun. Maybe in Southern California we hope for another Dodger win in the World Series next year. Or, since I'm in church, maybe we hope for an Angels win next year. We can hope for a lift of a global pandemic so that we can come back and there's not just three of us in here. Oh, we can hope for a better job or a job. We can hope for a home. We can hope for global peace. We can hope for better relationships with our loved ones. We can hope for a world where we don't have to worry about sharing our air. We can hope for closer relationships with God. We can hope for a God who actually makes more logical and emotional sense to us. I mean, we can, we can just keep on hoping. We can hope even for a less contentious group of people we call church. See, John had none of those expectations. When John talks about hope, none of those were in the realm of possibility. John has none of those hopes, as good as they are, and neither do we. We. Again, there's nothing wrong with those hopes, but those hopes carry all kinds of baggage to us and with us when we walk into places like this. You see, there's only one kind of hope that's on display on John's stage in this gospel on this table that was set and he yanked everything out from under it. There's only one hope. Sat on this, sitting on this table that John is pointing to. And the only way to get to that hope, Meister Eckhart, is to reduce all the things we've added to it that make it perfect. Perfect. John says, take all of that stuff away, pull the tablecloth off and all those expectations and you're going to find the one thing and I'm going to point to what hope actually is during the season of Advent that we prepare to receive the Messiah. Hope. Hope is that God will arrive. Period. Now for us, we get to read this after Emmanuel shows up. But we still live in that same hope because after Emmanuel showed up, was crucified, risen, and ascended, our new hope is He's coming back, this Jesus Christ is, the Messiah, to make everything great. That principle that God arrives is still in play for us in 2020, knocking on the door, of 2021. So what is hope that God arrives? Nothing more, nothing less. Anything else that we add to the table of the hope that God will arrive is excess baggage. And John says, yank the tablecloth off and all that stuff with it because your life is too conflicted. John's given us a gospel good news story today and saying, hey, get simple, people. You're making it way too complicated. What a great message. Okay, here's my hope. It's got nothing to do with who wins the World Series. My hope is in the midst of this colossal mess that's going on, I can be assured, and so can you, God's right here in the middle of it with us. God's just right here. Because we have a new definition of faith. Because we understand Advent differently. Which leads me to the fourth application. Well, if all that might be true, what's the point of being church? Well, this is where it gets fantastic. As if all of this isn't freeing and fantastic. Church is a group of people who subtract. We don't add anything to the setting on the table on this stage called John's set. Church, at its core, is profoundly simple. Don't add too much. Make it essential. Get to the bare bones because you're going to find hope there. You're going to find faith there, simple faith. and you're going to be returned to what the point of advent actually is. Not our waiting woe is me for the Christ that may or may not come. See, the emphasis is the wrong on the wrong. Subject. We're waiting for the Christ. That guy's going to show up. And he's never going to leave. So stop making it so complicated. God's right here in the middle with us. This God goes by one name. Emmanuel. Which means God with us. That's hope. I'm sick and tired of staying home all the time. What am I going to do with that? God's sitting at home with me. That's hope. Are we going to sit here together a long time, God? Well, we're going to sit together for a long time because we're in a community together, but we're not going to be sitting here forever. That's hope. <laughs> Emmanuel sits right with us. How can I be assured, you ask? Because of the simple voice of this man called John, who's a pointer. I want to show you a piece of art right now to help you get the drift. Maybe it'll bring the point home. Matthias Grunwald. 1512 to 1516, painted a triptych. It's called a triptych. It's actually the first versions of PowerPoint screens and image screens. And I think you've probably seen this before. It's called the Crucifixion. It was painted in St. Anthony's, which was a hospital that dealt with plague patients in Eisenheim, Matthias Grunwald painted the crucifixion and notice Christ in the center, larger than any other character. Light coming from above. The crossbow bending with the weight of the sin of the world. A lamb signifying the lamb of God. Jesus larger than life, hands and feet larger and out of proportion to draw our attention to it. His body scarred so that there could be hope, simple hope for those who were dying of the plague in this hospital, some of whom were even lepers. The power of this Emmanuel, the power of this incarnation of Emmanuel in a specific place is to bring hope to those whose bodies are charred and marred because of plague and leprosy. Jesus meets people where they're at even when they're not feeling it. There's another character standing strong. Just a little bit off right of center. That's John. What's he doing? He's pointing. Why is John pointing? John is pointing... Because that's John's job. John's pointing to the Christ. Because it's not about our waiting for the Christ. It's about our waiting for the Christ. And in and through that, we can be assured that faith says, no matter what I'm going through right now, God is with us. Subtract everything other than that and keep it simple. Because God has arrived. God will not leave. And my friends to the church, God always has been. God always is. And God always will be in our midst. This painting famously sat above the desk of theologian, neo-Orthodox theologian, Karl Barth. Because Karl Barth wanted to do one thing. With all of his volumes upon volumes upon volumes of theology, Karl Barth viewed his role as one thing. To be a pointer to the Christ. The challenge this morning... What if all of us decided to set aside the baggage to make it about the Christ and to ask ourselves, what would it look like if I was not named, if I was not recognized, if no one saw me doing anything ever as the hands and feet of Christ? It was never about me. It was always about pointing other people. to the Christ. What if we each became a pointer today? Like John. Like Carl Barth. Like Mother Teresa. And you can add your favorites to the list. That is a simple challenge. That is a simple prayer. That is my simple message to each and all this day. As we get closer to Christmas, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Amen.